Welcome to the Read This, Watch That podcast. I am Anthony. I am Dale. Hey, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? Broadcasting from Studio Long Island? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, Art. This is our, yeah. <laughs> this is our Long Island outfit at work. Long Island Studio. Today, we are going to discuss a novel by Carl Edward Wagner. It's called Dark Crusade from 1976. Its main character is Kane, K-A-N-E, who is a, I guess, a, I guess you call him a series character. There was a number of, uh, there was, I think, four or five novels starting in 1970. And Dark Crusade, I think, was maybe in the last novel or no, dark, no. Third, third, or it was like the second or third, I think. Third, and that was that was 1976. He yeah. also featured in a, I think, about 20 short stories. Yep, that sounded about right. A couple of novellas, three novellas, couple, a couple of novellas, some short stories, a couple, uh couple novels and the author was Carl Edward Wagner we discussed him back when we did a short story we did a, a episode uh, we did a Robert E. Howard horror story and we did a short story called Sticks which was I don't know like a Lovecraft homage yes. by Carl Edward Wagner we talked a little bit about him then interesting guy Writer, editor, anthologist, uh, born in 1945, died in 1994. He had he was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, died at Chapel Hill. He passed away. It looks like complications due to alcoholism. Yes. He received a history degree from Kenyon College. And did he... I have never actually found... Did he actually receive a medical degree or did he drop out of Chapel Hill as he was pursuing psychiatry? It's kind of um, vague. The research I did was a little bit vague on whether he, he actually received a medical degree. He went, he dropped out and he returned. But whether he completed his studies, I don't know. He's... um. I first, I mean, my first experience with him was sticks, but I have no recollection at the time that it, I really didn't care about the author. It was a short story. We were assigned in a high school class. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yep. And so I read it and, you know, it really wasn't, it was one of a number of assignments. So I wasn't really paying attention to who it was. Right. As I look back on it, I actually thought it was Lovecraft himself. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so when people talked about something was Lovecraft, and I was like, "Oh yeah, sticks." That was such a weird, weird, spooky story. It ended up being an homage by this guy. He's also, and you can feel free to fill in the blanks as much as you want about the author himself, because I know you're you're much more familiar with his work than I am. He does. He's one of these guys. Uh, there's musicians like this, and there's writers like this. He's kind of a writer's writer, even though he's not a household name. If you read interviews by 
you know, people like Stephen King, by, you know, a lot of genre authors. Peter Stroud. He's, yeah, he's the guy that comes up. And even though he's not a household name, he appears to have been pretty well respected by, by writers in the field. I think he was respected as a writer, and he was also, I think, respected in terms of his activities as an editor, um, I think even a little bit of a publisher. He And he was one of the founders of Carcosa Press. I think right at one of his, I think between stints in medical school. <laughs> um, <laughs> he squeezed in, uh, yeah, squeezed in, found in a, a small, a small press in between yeah. medical school. Yeah. But he also, you know, he was an, as you mentioned, he, he edited multiple anthologies in different categories, including, you know, the, the year's best horror stories for like a 12 year stretch or something like that. Um, but he was also, um, one of those people who, and you and I have talked about this, particularly when we talked about Stephen King, who believed in the quality of, um, genres as, as literature. And, you know, was, was someone who fought against the more dismissive nature of the establishment when it came to genre literature and was one of the forces behind getting Robert E. Howard back into, um, you know, publication in, in full, right, in, in non-edited versions. And um, was outspoken in his support of the literary merits of the writer, you know, the good writers um, in, this, in, in these genres. And I think that probably stood him well amongst his colleagues as well, because he was out there defending them. In fact, you can go onto YouTube and you can see a panel discussion that includes Peter Scrabb, Stephen King, Carl Edward Wagner, among others, uh, from 1983, in which they are really defending the genre, right, against those sorts of those sorts of attacks, um, and talking about the state of um, the state of literature, and so you can get a kind of firsthand impression of of, of Wagner, who died in '94, so you know not that many, obviously, and a you know not a remarkably successful author like King or Straub, so not as someone who you you know you see a lot of. But so you can see him. So, yeah, so I think that he was respected by his peers because not just because of his writing, um, but also because of his activities as a publisher and editor um, and a you know, vocal proponent of the genre. And, the, and again, the literary merits of some of the authors in the genre. Yeah, he was um, friends with a guy, a fellow writer who was also lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, named Manly Wade Wellman. Mm, I believe yes. was also who was writing back in the thirties and forties. And I like a lot of Wellman stuff. It's kind of good old fashioned, a lot of um, supernatural mysteries. Yep. That type of thing. Yep. I had a couple series characters that appeared in numerous, numerous um, uh, short stories, and a variety of, a variety of magazines. And they were pals, even though Weldman would have been considerably older. And they were concerned, apparently, or at least Wagner was, that August Derleth, uh, when August Derleth 
died that there would be no one around to kind of preserve. Derleth had pretty much, topic for another story, co-opted Lovecraft's, um, H.P. Lovecraft's literary estate when he probably didn't have any right to it. And he started a press. And it's escaping me right now, but he was... Is that Arkham? Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's good. Good, thank you. He was publishing Lovecraft's work, some other people, and... Yeah, uh, Wagner was one of these guys who seemed very concerned about preserving the the kind of history and legacy of the genres he wrote in. Which you know what? That's I, I like that. That's um, yeah. I, I'm glad you know not all this stuff is is good, but when it was written, and there were so many pulp magazines. It really was disposable entertainment, so we probably lost a ton of stories. Yeah. Or if they're still out there, they're in someone's grandfather's trunk in the attic and ha- hasn't seen the light of day, you know, in seventy years. So they were going around. Try, I believe they published, or eventually got published. Hugh B. Cave was one of those guys, and they published a big book of all of his short stories and a number of others. So big kind of defender of the genre yeah yeah and and, um uh again someone who you know didn't just kind of stand up and defend it he was you know very much involved in getting the stuff republished reworked you know bringing it out in its original form um uh and making sure that it was there so he was not just a defender, but he was actively engaged in the process of supporting the work, which I which I really like. So a lot of the sword and sorcery stuff came out of Robert E. Howard in the 30s. There was other people. And, you know, when the pulps kind of went, my understanding is when the pulps kind of went belly up, it, the, the, that particular genre fell on hard times, but did see a bit of a resurgence in the mid '60s, and then kind of picked up steam in the '70s, where people were people like Lynn Carter and L. Sprague de Camp, and uh, but, well, Wagner too were actually publishing Conan stories, Conan novels, right? And yeah, Fritz Lieber was the early '60s, I think, with his Fafford and the Gray Mouser. And things like that. And they were also doing guys like Lynn Carter and I think the camp were also doing um, just publishing short stories that were probably actually better than, but reminiscent of the the pulp stuff from the thirties and forties. And I, I think it was, this is kind of funny. Cause I kind of feel the same way. The, the best of those are a lot of fun. There's a lot yeah. of crap. There's a lot of bad stuff out there when you go back and read Weird, oh, yeah. weird Tales. But yeah, yeah, yeah. every now and then there's a there's a gem that's just a lot of fun and, and well written. And so these guys were enjoying themselves publishing, like you know, uh, the detective who always gets involved in supernatural activities or runs into a you know a dark cult that he has to defeat or sword and sorcery type stuff. And I think it might have been. I want to say it was Susan Sontag. It was a well-known, credible writer who kind of said at one point, why are so many good writers writing this crap? 
<laughs> and and Lynn, Lynn Carter said, uh, which I love, is like, because it's a lot of fun and there's not enough of it. And they were kind of just having just having a good old good old time. But that brings us to uh, maybe we'll we can discuss the genre after because I don't think there's a lot to talk too much to talk about uh, Dark Crusade. But since you you know this stuff better than me, what what can you tell me about this character Kane? Yeah, so so Kane is a is is not I'm not gonna say it's a wholly original character. I mean there's lots of predecessors or a number of predecessors you can you can point to within the literature as well as um, you know mythically. But Cain is a an immortal. He's a human who has been cursed by some mad god to uh, to immortality. And it doesn't mean that he can't be he can't be killed. He can be killed, but if you don't kill him, he <laughs> will survive his injuries and he will live forever. And um, the Cain stories uh, that that Wagner wrote um, uh, all deal with Cain having lived some un, you know unknown amount of time, but clearly way longer than you know anybody else. And so by the time we we really engage with Kane. He's kind of done everything and, you know, maybe achieved most of the things that, you know, you might say to yourself, oh, I would, if I were immortal, I would like to do these things, right? He, he's, he's kind of done all of that, but it has to be kept in mind that he's done it within this world that um, we engage with whenever we read a uh, Wagner Kane novel that is that kind of you know sword and sorcery world so there are ancient gods and kingdoms and you know uh, mystics and magicians of various sorts and sorcerers right whatever you want to call them that um, exist have existed right kind of come and gone um, and the world he inhabited in a given point in time is with somewhere within the millennia of existence that he has in somewhere in, the, in, in, these, in these places. And so he contends sometimes with Lovecraft-esque um, events and, and, and critters, right, out there in the world. And in fact, does so um, at a certain level in this, um, uh, in this novel. Um, but he is also completely and utterly, and, and it's done, I think, done very well, just completely amoral, if not a little bit immoral, right, by, by our standards. But is not someone who is necessarily simply cruel for the sake of being cruel, right? He's just... He has his, he kind of has his own agenda and his own goals, and that's that. But he doesn't kill indiscriminately. He engenders loyalty to the people who follow him, right? He is a, he is a person in the world, but he exists in this somewhat amoral sensibility, you know, with respect to the people around him, and is caught up in the machinations of, of you know, society. Right. He is not 
completely removed from it. He is a human being, right? So he is in society and engages with society. And frequently in his stories, he's trying to, you know, achieve vast amounts of power and wealth, and, uh, as he's doing in, in this story as well, and coming to, you know, better or lesser ends. Um, so and the, the world he lives in is... I'm not going to say is as immoral as him, but it is filled with people competing and striving and, and trying to achieve wealth, power, whatever it happens to be. So one of the things that has always struck me about the King stories is that aspect of it. And, and you know, Wagner doesn't shy away from the, um, you know, terrible things that can happen. And, you know, the, the, unpleasant aspects of Kane's character that can come out from time to time. The, the, one of the things that struck me was I, it was my understanding that Wagner hints, and you don't know whether it's kind of a, with a, a wink and a nod or not, hints that his father was Adam and his, his stepmother was Eve. Yeah. Kind of cracks me up, which means his mother would have been Lilith, who in some apocrypha Jewish mythology was the first wife of Adam. She was banished because she wouldn't follow his orders and be subordinate to him, which is great. I mean, I only know Layla through her, her concert series, but so I kind of thought uh, that this took place in the, in our world. Uh, so the first thing that struck me was it's really not, is it supposed to be our world in the distant past or is it just a world? I think it's a world. Okay. I, I don't think that, and I, and I think that like any, you know, good creative sort, it, there's a, de there's a degree of, you know, call it inconsistency that just doesn't matter. Right. What, whether, you know, whether you take what you just said, right. As kind of the intention here, does it really matter that, you know, this isn't Europe in the middle ages, right. right. Kind of thing. This is, this is a world. And has lots of similarities to us because it's human, right? But it is complete fantasy, right? I mean, it is a, it's a place like Middle Earth is a place. I think is is kind of the way that I've always thought of it. So, it, this story takes place on a on a continent. There's a northern part, a southern part, just to give people kind of a broad stroke. So, there is a city in the north that contains two old towers one is occupied by uh a cult of sataki and the other is just an old tower that no one really uses right in this city there's a kind of a cunning outlaw named uh orted and the city guard thinks they have him and his men they, they've laid a trap for him and his men at the uh <laughs> at the farmer's market some right. big some big fair but he ends up getting away this cunning they, they get his other men but he kind of ends up escaping initially but it looks like he's eventually going to be caught he's kind of sort of rescued by a priest of Sataki they are I mean my impression of this Dale was like this is a rundown broken old cult that people are still kind of freaked out about but they don't really interact much with the city they're kind of off on their own they have no real 
direct influence in the kingdom. They people kind of consider them they're, they're like old news and no one really pays attention to what they do even though some rumors circulate that they may have kidnapped someone or, or done this or that they're really not they're really not uh an important part of of city life right and he's about to get caught by the city guard this priest ostensibly uh, rescues him and then he's the subject of some type of some type of um, uh, ritual uh, with the other priests, which kind of imparts at least part of their God into him. And he becomes this like if God slash, you know, this God who walks the earth right. and the lead yeah. yet God, like the leader of the cult. And it's kind of a populist movement. And before you know it, <laughs> It's kind of like H. Ross Perot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and before you know it, they got just like the either and people are either scared and joining or joining out of fanaticism. They start rolling over, rolling over countries and essentially taking things over and they head south. Yes. Well, with so, this so, motley, motley crew of, of motley, people. Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's it's a. Um, uh, just to fill in a little bit of the the, the so yes. so he gets captured and and the the priests are kind of surprised with the ritual. The normal ritual is they take somebody and essentially that person dies right there. God um, kills them and takes the rest of so whatever it is. But for whatever reason, in this instance, the God has decided to invest this person with a portion of itself, right? and that becomes Orted the demigod or god or whatever you want to whatever you want to call him and gives him this power and does um and goes out and starts preaching in the middle of the farmer's market (laughs) and um you know gets gets people's attention and and then turns the mob against the city guard in part by demonstrating a degree of the supernatural power that um, that he has at that point. Um, and it's, this is kind of, again, this goes back to, I think some of the benefits that you have after, you know, writing after the time of Howard and Lovecraft and all that, because the God here is one of many that have existed and, and, and do exist. And it has kind of hung on in relevance in our world only because these priests have decided to kind of maintain these rituals. And throughout this book, there's indications that other gods may be, well, they just weren't convincing enough, right? And there are no more priests to kind of maintain their cult. You almost get, right? the, so they, yeah, you almost get the impression that, uh, yeah, it's almost hinted at that the, uh, God's power is really dependent upon the, his num- the number of worshipers. Yeah, well, and and that's the case here is that what 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 this God wants to do is to um, uh, get a sufficient number of worshipers so that he can or it can fully enter our world is is kind of the notion. Ultimately, is what we what we learn. Um, And of course, it's this horrible cult where, you know, it's it's darkness over light and it's, you know, join or die, quite literally, 
yeah yeah no no it's 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 got a lot of elements of say early islam or middle-aged christianity where it's a crusade yeah (laughs) you know it's going to be they'll steamroll you join or die yes so they put together put together do some a good job in the uh in the north which is which is kind of the i think the remnants of an old empire that has and it's you know in the in the jungle in the woods um but uh, the crusade marches south and in the south are all of the warring southern kingdoms there's that. a bunch of kingdoms. Yeah, there's a bunch of kings. Uh, let me just step in real sure. quick. So I'll just lay the groundwork yeah. real quick and, and you can go on. Um, in the south, there's a bunch of kingdoms. In one kingdom, there is a dying king who has a daughter. And the political scene there is they've broken up into two factions, the blues and the reds. And the blues are uh, the general for the blues. Is is it Javro? Jarvo, yeah. Jarvo. And the one for the Reds is is Kane, and Kane has uncovered some information that uh, the Blues leader is having an affair with the daughter, which, if it got out, would be this huge scandal. Uh, he's able to kind of waylay Kane. Kane and a few of a few of his men escape, and uh, so that's the situation down there. Is Kane is kind of like the victim of uh, a political uh, factionalism yes and hit him and some of his loyal men well, like cavalry yeah type people are able to escape uh is it ja- jav javro jarvo i thought jarvo he's ascendant the blues have won and uh kane escapes meanwhile kind of the convergence of the Dark Crusade is heading south, and uh, there is a battle between <laughs> the Dark Crusade and Jarvel's yeah. uh, army. And it's just, it is a slaughter because the Dark Crusade is just made up of average people. There's no discipline. There's no, there, there's, there's no experience, but most importantly, they have no cavalry. Right. And our pal Kane decides he's going to cut a deal and be, and essentially kind of be a general in the Dark Crusade and build up a cavalry and kind of instill some discipline and some training to make this army, and in particular the horse, uh, lethal, right. lethal weapons. Which he which he achieves, and he and it's the Southern Kingdoms. It's interesting. I mean, it's this that's the Southern Kingdoms are kind of like feudal Europe in a sense. Um, they're constantly fighting each other and they've built up this tradition, you know, this military tradition that's very strong and they're very effective. And so even though it may be one kingdom, you know, one of these small kingdoms, they're able to defeat through discipline, well-trained, you know, well-equipped military to, to win. But a couple they of, they can't unite though, because there's too they can't many unite. old, yeah. too many old rivalries and, right. and bitterness. Right. But uh, our guys, Jarvo, does, does the job. Now, a couple of things that have happened in the meantime. We do meet another character. I've forgotten her name. Um, is a, a woman is a part of a... Um, it's like Inril or... Yeah. Inril. Yeah. 
actually young, young girl actually like in her teens right young girl in her teens in a city that is ultimately taken over by the dark crusade this is prior to the encounter with uh, jarvo and and the um uh his cadre but um and we we learn a little bit more about kind of the sorcery of orted um in which he is able to this is really kind of eerie kind of a thing where he he's able to turn people's shadows against them yeah uh and yeah yeah they don't play there too much but it's it's really kind of spooky yeah so it, it's so he he definitely has supernatural powers right i mean there's no there's absolutely yeah, no yeah. question about that right he's, and and he, which, and which is funny because like any well yeah go on i'm sorry I'll, I'll i'll jump in later yeah yeah so he 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 does have these supernatural powers and and this she is used by him to essentially right open the gates of this city um and it's something that that you know affects her and impacts her um because she feels the guilt of it ultimately over time of having been this pawn. The other thing that that happens, just a little bit of factoid, because it is a plot point that is important, is that when when Jarvo finds Kane, right, and they have their confrontation and Kane has to escape the city, the um Jarvo is uh severely um disfigured. Half his face is like burn off yeah Yeah. something like that and which which turns his girlfriend off of him and she (laughs) finds another paramour but uh one of the other things too i just wanted to note in this is that and this happens again in other parts of the story as well but when when kane flees he flees because he thinks that jarvo has captured his spy and that jarvo will now know everything that kane knows but that's not what happened. The spy actually dies. We don't need to go into the detail exactly why, but he dies. And I, and I bring this up because, again, Kane is human. He's not somehow all-knowing. He makes a mistake here, right? His, he makes actually a number of mistakes. He makes a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yeah. But he, you know, his, his, his spy has been killed, and so Jarvo doesn't actually have the horrible information that Kane thinks that he has. And so... Kane could really survive this and, and remain and perhaps even, you know, win his power struggle with Jarvo politically, but he doesn't know that. Right. So he escapes and, and he goes to, and he goes to, as you said, he goes to Orted and says, Hey, you know, your mob is a mob. You're never going to, you're never going to win. You need me. And so he goes to work and, and creates a, an actual military of significant strength with for an un- Orted. With an un- this this, I thought what I have some criticisms of this relatively short novel. I think mine mm-hmm. was on the on the nook was like two hundred pages. Yeah, no, it's, it's so we're not a, talking about it. Short. Two of the things I liked was kind of the to play off of what you were saying is there's a there, despite it being in this you know imaginary land with magic and monsters and all this kind of craziness that uh, kane thinks orted's a, a phony a fraud and which he is, does yeah which um which is realistic because he right you you have this guy who used to be you know used to be this like well-known uh thief well-known criminal all of a sudden he's a religious crusade it's like 
yeah, he's 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 in it for the money. He's doing something. He's, yeah, he's figured out how to he's, do people, yeah. and he's yeah, yeah. He's just full, full. He's like just full of BS. That's all, and that's quite like a really kind of realistic human human portrayal. The other thing I liked was the politics of it all. It's like Orted agrees, okay, make the uh, build build the cavalry. Let's get things going here, and Kane's gonna do it but much like you know in a, in a lot of real world situations they both know that eventually you can't have two powerful people and they will come they will eventually come to blows and all that you, you know you don't need uh, you don't need the, the made up world or the magic or the fantasy those are kind of two real world things and I, I kind of thought that was that was part of the strength of of the story that those yeah those realistic bits that he throws in yeah yeah I, I yeah and I think he does I think he does a nice job with that throughout of kind of keeping you you grounded in things that you would understand exactly and that, and that makes sense and and I think it's because he kind of strips away a lot of pretense and. I think Wagner's one of those guys. I think he understands power better than a lot of people. He understands how power is attained and how it is utilized and, you know, marshaled in, in a variety of settings. And, and so while there is a certain degree of, you know, oh, well, you're the king, so I'm going to defer to you, it isn't always just assumed it's not always you know it's not always maintained right Right. people betray people and there's a um there's a degree of kind of i was thinking about it actually as i was reading this the last time of the kind of startling political realism that people got from game of thrones right when you read or or watch it it's inherent in the kane novels right um now these are not the equivalent these are not as well developed worlds as characters as carl as um uh uh george r R. martin has put together for that series right where he he kind of created essentially you know medieval um european mythology and culture and kind of mixed it together wagner's not doing that he's doing sword and sorcery so it's not as complex it's not as you know fully fleshed out as that but it is this kind of recognition of how power is uh, is actually utilized, and I will say um, that is something that you see in all the other King novels as well and stories. It's that well, similar sort of respect, call it, for power. Well, now that you brought it up, uh, this is as good a time as any because just, you know the story from here on in is pretty pretty basic, um, mm-hmm. and we can finish discussing it. Have you read a good portion of like the Kane short stories and the, and the novels? I've read all of the novels, uh, including the three novellas in um, Death Angel's Shadow. Is and there... I've read some of the short stories, but I, I wouldn't be able to tell you the number. Just with the novels and the and the novellas, is there a rhyme or reason and an overarching? Uh, um, uh, kind of storyline or for Kane? Just, no. Yeah, does it just okay? No. 
No. Okay. No. He's, uh, I was as I said if... before, he's just, got, you, you kind of get pictures of Kane throughout his life. And um, it's just at different times. But in, in, I believe in all of them, at least as my recollection, you don't get the, this is how Kane became immortal, right? Um, That's what I was going to ask next is, do you ever get any more information about his origin? I think you get kind of hints, but I don't think you ever get the complete, you know, full context story. I could be wrong about that, but I I don't believe that you do. I don't re I don't recall it if 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 it was explained. And, and which, I read which most of this mis- stuff when yeah. I was a kid too. Which would be a mistake, though, in, in these terms, because his origin is probably not going to be anywhere as fascinating as your imagination would think it would be. Right. So you might as well just dangle it out there as a as a bit of a tease. And right? it's it also helps because people do. In, in his stories, we got a little bit of this in this one. In other of his novels, there's a little bit more of it, where people begin to understand who Cain actually is. I mean, he's not, and to be clear, he's not famous, right, in this world. He's just, he's just a guy. He kind of shows up, he does his thing, and goes away. And so it's not like there's this mythology of, of Cain, of this, you know, immortal person lurking the earth. Um. But people do get to know him, and he does reveal bits of himself to people at times, as he does in this book a little bit. And in those moments, you get a little, you know, you get little kind of hints of, of that background and that, and that origin, um, which I always liked, to, to, exactly to your point, I always liked not knowing exactly what and you know just kind of you you get those hints and you start thinking about them and speculating and your own creativity comes in and imagination comes in and i think that's always a you know that can be a very powerful um tool when it comes to writing there's a line there's a section of uh dance macabre a, a non-fiction book written by stephen king about i think at the time was it's pretty much the history of horror in all mediums up until the date it was published, which was 1980. And he's got a, he's, he's got this really funny section about, um, you know, what, not showing the monster, not sure. How do you, yes. How do you, how do you do this? He's like, you know, I tried to terrorize people, but if that doesn't work, then I try to scare him. And if I can't do that, I'll just gross him out. Yeah. And he has this, you know, he's, a, he's, <laughs> he's like, I, I'm not proud. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go for the gross out. But he says, the problem with revealing the problem with not revealing the monster is a lot of readers feel let down. Like I just read 350 pages and it's all this ambiguity and I feel, I, I feel empty inside now. Right. And this is <laughs> the problem with revealing the monster is they throw open. He says something like you throw open the closet door and it's a, it's a bug five feet tall. You breathe a sigh of relief saying, ah, oh, it's only five feet tall. I thought it was 20. Right. Tall. And if it's 20 feet tall, you're like, Phew, at least it's not 40 feet tall. It's <laughs> right. really hard to, in a novel, to, to make, to make the, what happens in the novel as scary as your imagination. Yeah. And, and that's always, that's always an issue. Um, just to f- kind of maybe finish up. Yeah. Kane moves the army south. He, he, um, 
is it i can't remember he, he, he oh yeah it's it, this time it's a slaughter and he hides the cavalry in the middle of the rabble which is right brilliant so jav javro jarvo whatever his name is thinks oh this is like before and makes the first move and it ends up being a disaster everything everyone thinks javro is dead but he's not right. he is he is uh on the missing list and ultimately he is found. our hero right he's he's the, he is he, is he and the girl are the heroes of i this. i think so I, I i actually liked both of them much more than uh everybody else everybody else in the novel including uh including kane and then kane um starts with with, with the army takes over some cities but he is a traditional general he's like if you surrender and don't make me invest this city and then you know kill off a whole bunch of my people trying to take the city open it up we'll come to terms blah 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 blah. he's kind of acting in a very traditional yeah kind of way you don't put up resistance we reward you you put up resistance we will pretty much you know empty the city they uh but orted comes south and he don't like that. He's got his own. He's got his own thing in mind. So they kind of have a disagreement. Um, the disagreement go, grows. Um, you know, they're really at odds over this, and Kane Kane loses because Ortez the he's the head of the he's the head of the Dark Crusade, yes. and and Kane is just a follower. Then the flash forward, they're they're back in the north, right when. Kane is going to attempt a coup on the same night that Javro has been rescued and brought back to the well, you're, northern you're, city. You're a little bit, uh, you, you're you're a little bit uh, kind of ahead because because Kane breaks with Orted, and it's not um, until the night. No, 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 because you're 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 up you're at at it, I it, think it has been a while since I it's been a couple it, weeks since I like three three weeks since I finished it. <laughs> yeah, so 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 well actually no, now that I'm thinking about it, I think you're right. <laughs> so so Javro gets found by the, the girl, right? And she nurses she knows who he is, she nurses him back to health, but she's yeah. a part of the dark crusade because Otherwise, she'd be dead. But yeah, not by choice, right? And um, they they kind of bring him back to the to the main city as a part of their um, uh, you know their clown show. Um, and in fact, he plays Javro um, <laughs> yes. on stage. Yes, it's uh, very very much reminiscent of uh, of. Uh, uh, communism where the the art any art is now in service of the crusade yeah, the, of the right of the politics yeah it's very it, a lot it, of propaganda going on yeah and so <laughs> and and you're right and this is the night also that that kane has this has this idea that he's gonna he's gonna engage in his rebellion it's yeah it's, it's like there's gonna be a break uh, yep. He's he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna get me or I gotta make my move because right. we're, we're gonna come to <laughs> we're gonna come to blows either way so I'll right. move first right so he so it, and it all gets screwed up because Javro thinks he's gonna win back the heart of the princess who has become Orted's concubine and instead she says to herself what the hell 
I'm the I'm the concubine of the most powerful person in the world. Why would I go back to this, you know, disfigured uh, schmo from down south? And so um, her reporting to Ortead on Javro kind of interrupts what Kane's, you know, palace coup was intended to do. Uh, and it all gets screwed up. Kane rides away with his his core group of guys, <coughs> and and Javro is able to escape as well yeah, because he Kane's, away too. Kane's palace coup is going on, and yeah. so in the confusion, he gets away. It's so, a madhouse. <laughs> it is, yes, exactly. So Kane goes off and and builds an army, and Javro goes off and starts to unite the southern kingdoms, which um, become powerful and. Cain kind of says, yeah, I, I get it. Somewhere along the way, Cain finds the girl. I can't remember exactly. I think he... He seeks her out, I think, because he's heard, I well, think, of her involvement. And they, they since, since Javro is part of an acting troupe, um, or Ted believes that, you know, the whole acting troupe right. is probably... Um, you know, against against the state. Yes, they're not with him, so they're against them. So in the chaos, he sends a troop. You know, a, a bunch of men to where the uh, where the acting troop is, and he's he's just gonna slaughter them. She is pinned up like in a crucifixion type way, but I think she's rescued by Cain on yes. his way out of the city. Yes, because he because I think he's heard of her involvement in the fall of that city and so he and he wants to gather and he doesn't save her because he wants to save her <laughs> he saves her because she's got information he that says, he like, thinks he can use piece of the puzzle yeah well, let me ask you, so um what is do we find because i could have missed it do we really know what kane is doing is he just at this particular moment in time he's He's going to build an empire for himself, or is there something else going on? Yeah, no, it's just that. I mean, just that. Okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, he's, All right. he's just always, sure. He, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's always in different states of it's, it's funny too, because some, I remember, I can't remember which book that opens with him. He's just kind of living in a cave and he's like been living there for a hundred years. Because he's just he's he's gotten tired of all that stuff and he's just reading, right? Just kept and, catching up on his reading. Yeah, exactly. And then something you know piques his interest. So oh, I'll go I'll go participate in that. And so just he, briefly, briefly though, before we we wrap up the story, because it's, it's not a complex story. No, the second tower. I, I mentioned two towers yes. in the city. The second tower contains it is old. It's run down. No one uses it. No one goes in there. No one really remembers what it was for. But Kane knows it, and there's basically a what an interdimensional portal in it, essentially. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's it's a it goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of what Orted's god is. Kane describes it to the girl at one point because he's explaining. Um, he explains to her what's going on, and she gives him a bit of information. She asks questions, and he's. Again, you know, he's not a he's not evil, so it's not like he's found the information he wants from her and he kills her. He lets her hang out for as long as she wants to, right? He's, yeah. he's yeah, whatever. Um, and as he tells her, you know, these ancient gods exist in a different realm, and he describes this they're like in these different rooms 
and they have doorways to our world. And some of them can get through. Some of them need help getting through. Some of them can't get through. And you can go through. Uh, and you can go through, if possibly. You, if, if you want to. <laughs> if you want to, if you can kind of figure out how you want to. And it's a portal as well in this world. So, in fact, the next novel, start, and this, you know, we'll get to this, but starts with him having gone through that portal, right? Because at the end of the... That's I know I we're going to talk about this. He gets that's a, what I meant. To, yeah, that's what I meant to ask you. Uh, it, whether it, it, even though it's not necessarily a chronology, does it? Does the next novel pick up with yes, that? Yes, okay. it does. The next novel does pick up with that. So, so okay. we'll get to that's that. Funny. So, so, so let's get finished with the with the story. So, so, so Kane figures out what Ortet is, and he kind of figures out how he's going to um, kill Ortet, and or he knows, you know, he knows enough about him to kind of know what he has to do. But now. Javro has built up this military and alone Orted and Kane are not going to be able to stop Javro. Their only hope is to join together, reunite the dark get, crusade, get the band back together. Yeah. Get the band back together. And so Kane says, I got to do it. Or and Orted smart enough to know he's, this is what he's got to do. So he goes back to the city with Javro on his heels and um, says, hey, this is what we want to do. Um, uh, oh, and he digs up, that's right, he digs up some ancient bit of sorcery yes. at one yeah. point. Yeah, and, and he, uh, that he's going to use. Um, but he, he goes back, he talks to Orted, Orted says, yep, thumbs up. He starts to leave the palace and... Then he sees that Ortet has ordered his soldiers to attack Kane's soldiers. Yeah, it doesn't last. It's there's it there's lasts, no agree, there's no agreement. Doesn't last at all, right? No. And and so Kane puts in motion this this device to undermine Ortet, um, but he's trapped in this city, and he fights his way through to the citadel, where he enters into the realm of this other god who could kill him. That's an uh, escape from Javro's pursuit. But he, but he escapes from Javro's pursuit and he actually ends up on the other side of the world or some other place in, in this world um, because he has made it through the other end. And, 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 it's quantum uh, leap. Yeah, exactly. Um, he leaps into the other... It would be the, the exact point on the other side of the world, right? They're yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what's nice about the end of this movie is that we don't know what happens to anybody. <laughs> well, it's a book, not a movie, Dale. <laughs> and it's, there's, yeah, the end of it is very... Uh, All we know is that Kane escapes, <clears throat> but it, clearly Javra's winning and Ortet is losing, but we don't, we don't get... We don't know, know that Ortet's a... gone. We don't know that Javro lives buddies yeah 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 we don't know what happens to the girl i mean nothing and nothing in that sense is resolved and and here in oh god and i was just gonna say i mean this is to me kind of a a classic element of a kane novel right because ultimately kane doesn't care because he's gonna live for another 500 years he's gonna forget who all these people who cares right it's this fleeting passing thing for him none of it matters yeah it's like you spending a pleasant afternoon with someone 
thinking about it 50 years later I was like who was what I, yeah. yeah vaguely what right which exactly. gets to I thought um without a doubt well well written uh, he's yeah. not he wasn't a hack writer it's it's well written it's clear it's concise it's it's good good uh, some good imagery in there um uh the um i thought the depiction of religious fanaticism was good because it was scary yes and i thought he depicted <laughs> i twice i i won't discuss it but too much twice involuntarily i've been in this i've been in a large crowd neither of which i was a part of it was for for my job um in both instances and uh where it's the only two times uh, that i got the real sense of um boy you know that the, it would both were protests i was trying to get to um well i was over at the capitol mm-hmm. right going to meet with a legislator about some legislation and at the time there was this protest going on it was um a group of it was at the time where people were dying left and right of aids mm-hmm. left and right no one knew what to do and um and there was a protest there about more money and it was a large protest and the protesters were angry yeah and it was also pre uh 9-11 so the basic security at the capitol is very loose you could be on the second floor where the governor's office is on the third floor you could wander wherever you yeah. wanted almost right yeah. yeah and they were these these protesters were all over the place inside and out and the troopers show up and they they're wearing latex gloves which just sets the crowd off oh, yeah which is like i don't blame them yeah no, no one knew right? what the yeah. hell was going on at the time yeah. right yeah. But it was just to say, to make a long story short, shorten this up is like it just there was a like an electrical charge in the air. If someone said the wrong thing or did the slightly wrong thing or said yeah. the slightly wrong thing, you could see violence erupting. And I just I couldn't wait to get out of there yeah. because it was the crowd was such that another feeling I hate is that you could do nothing if 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 all the moved in one direction at the same time you would just be caught up in it yeah it was impossible never wanted to be in that situation again and happened to be in that situation again one more time but um (laughs) so i think the depiction of the of the volatility of that that crowd and the, the 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 mob mentality was was really good the criticism i have of this is kind of what and I'm probably maybe missing the point is this felt unsatisfying ultimately as a standalone novel. Um, it felt like an episode of something larger. If you follow me. Yes. And I think that there's a, it, it, that's when, when I chose this, this novel, it had been a while since I'd read the, the, the Kane novels. And I think I might have chosen a different one. Um, um, maybe, and I, I can't remember what, which one I might have chosen, but there is a different one that 
um, I think it may have been Darkness Weaves, I'm not sure, where it's a it's similar sort of a notion, right? Kane gets himself involved in this thing, it all, you know, goes to hell in a ba- handbasket and he loses. Um, but there's a little bit more about Kane's attitude toward it, which I think helps. Because a little bit more of the internalizing, yeah, a little bit more of you know how important or not, right? This stuff is to him, and what it is that he's that's really motivating him. And I think this was the third or fourth Kane novel, so you you should already know, right? If you've if you've read the others, you have a little bit more of an understanding of Kane. But and I don't, and I'm saying that not to defend the novel because it's a standalone. Right. Any, in my opinion, anything should be, you know, you know, it should hold its own. Right. You shouldn't necessarily, unless it's specifically in a series, you know, this is part one. Right. Don't read part two without reading part one. Right. Kind of stuff. That's not what this is. And so it should, you know, work alone. And when I when I reread it for purpose of this podcast, I kind of had the same reaction to it. I was thinking to myself, ah, oh, this is not you're not quite getting as much cane in this as you do in others in which you get a little bit more of his perspective on on what's going on i mean i think you do toward the end when he's going into the lair of that god and and he's going through those trials and tribulations you get a little bit of it there but not a ton and you get a little bit of it when he talks about things a bit but in other of the cane novels you get that a little bit more and you get his kind of why am I doing this? Right. And some of it is at times boredom, <coughs> nothing else to do. Some of it is, Oh, I could carve out a kingdom here and it would be cool to be king for a while. Right. Kind of a kind of, I haven't done that in a while. Right. Kind of stuff. Um, and sometimes it's madness, right. Uh, sometimes it's just, he's wants the chaos. Um, and you don't, and you don't get, you know, clarity here in that. And so I think that's a valid criticism of this book. But in the larger Kane universe, that sense of not really quite understanding, you know, what's going on in terms of, you know, what Kane is doing, I think it is explained a little bit more. And with that better context, I think this this novel works a bit better, right? Because then you fill in those blanks with what you otherwise know. Yeah, and I don't. It, it, I think it's more the fact that um, where it, where it lands in the overall picture, because it feels you know like this might be the Empire Strikes Back, and if I'd read the previous one and the and the follow up, yeah, it would I be think much it's, more satisfying read. It's 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 not the it's not kind of I, the work itself. I think that's fair. I, that's absolutely that's absolutely fair. I this agree. is. Um, the Kane character is always cited as an example of, <coughs> excuse me, um, the sword and sorcery genre, yeah. which I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a amateur expert on this genre by, by any stretch, but let me read you. But I think Kane hits, hits a lot. If, if not all of these marks, this is, let's say, it's a subgenre of fantasy characterized by sword wielding heroes engaged in exciting and violent adventures. Elements of romance, magic, and the supernatural are also often present. Unlike works of high fantasy, the tales through 
uh, the tales through dramatic focus on personal battles rather than uh, world endangering matters. Sword and sorcery commonly overlaps with heroic fantasy. So, you know, to a large and and, and to a large extent, I think this kind of fits that bill. Except in this particular case, they were talking about um, it was more than a personal battle. There was some world endangering. <laughs> endangering yeah. matters but the character itself kind of fits a lot of that although you told me which is that um that wagner didn't like the term and you know i found something that said he thought kane was a gothic hero slash villain mm. and it wasn't sword and sorcery and i think that probably you know he does kind of have a decent amount in common with with Heathcliff from what Weathering Heights <laughs> you know <laughs> and he's I mean the again not being a historian I think in terms of a, the, United, the United States Robert E. Howard's Conan and Cull back in the yeah back in the early 30s if not you know the real start of this is kind of like the benchmark yeah and Kane's this more cunning intelligent uh intellectual yes and civilized than yes. conan so you don't have that kind of Kane. here's how i would describe it the, the reason i and this is one of the reasons why i like the Kane stories uh that i've read is that even though Conan does exist in, in a similar sort of a world, Kane's world is, is darker because it's a little bit more realistic and kind of the power play type stuff. Right. And in my mind, right. The people behave in ways that I can, I can, my cynical side understands a whole lot better. And the, um, kind of the mysticism and horror that goes along with Cain is a lot more Lovecraftian than you see, I think, in, in others. And there are those elements of horror that kind of, you know, get kind of pulled into this. And, and it's true in other, it's a little bit more true in some of the other stories that um, the Kane novels that that are there, where there is this intersection with some of those older, you know, creatures and and gods, and it's almost like he's bridging that um, cosmic horror with sword and, and sorcery, um, and I and I kind of like that a lot, and I also like the character of Kane, which you don't get as much in this novel. Again, I think this is a fair criticism you have you don't get quite as much, but you do in others in that world weariness of, of his and the vast amounts of knowledge that he has and understanding of, of the world in which he, he exists. Those are really interesting characteristics that can come out really nicely. I mean, I think he really is a, a unique character and he's also one of these great, you know, I mean, call this, you know, very characteristic. I mean, he's this massive, you know, muscular, fierce warrior. And if you get a chance, you should go and, and dig out the, uh, 
the Franzetta original covers, the Frank Franzetta original covers of these books. I saw them fin- on Amazon. I saw them on Amazon. The, the covers from the original novels back in the yeah. 70s. Yeah, yeah. 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 They're, they're great. I mean, and they, they kind of give you, you know, and as a, you know, as a, you know, 12, 13 year old kid and, you know, you go into a bookstore and you see that stuff, it's kind of like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> you know, and, and it kind of fits that, it really fits that bill because it is horrific in a, in, in a lot of ways. You know, when you read, I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I've, when I read a Conan story, it's kind of like fun and sometimes it's dramatic. But when you read a Kane story, you kind of get to the end of it. It's like, oh, <laughs> what a horrible it's, world, you know, it's, it's, it reminds me of in horror, some ways how, yeah, in some ways how people, tra- he's got the same problem that some people like to depict vampires with, uh, you know, uh, I live so long, I'm immortal, so I get this tedium of life and that can be depressing. Whereas yeah. Conan is just living, living life to the full. The good, I mean, the difference is, I was um, taking a look at uh, a Conan story. I forget the name of it, but it starts out with Conan is riding, uh, galloping his horse through the city streets. He comes to a stop. He hops on, hops on a ship that's just about to leave, and he's making his escape. Mm-hmm. He's he's escaping. And the reason he's escaping is like the night or two before he was in a tavern and a, an acquaintance of his was there as well. And like captain of the guard was hitting on this guy's uh, girlfriend. And this guy got into a fight with a, with a, with a captain of the guard killed him. And Conan's been holding the court as a witness. And he just, he's like explaining this saying like, they wanted me to Conan thinks the guy did the right thing. Mm-hmm. and they want me to turn on my friend who I think did the right thing so they wouldn't let me leave court until I testified so I cleaved the judge's head in two fought my way out of the courtroom and had to escape the city and it's this, it's this anti-establishment yeah. uh, Howard had a, a chip on his shoulder it's this anti-establishment even though Conan's supposed to be a barbarian the barbarians are actually more honorable than civilization, which is just filled with kind of dirty scheming politicians. Yeah. But I think, you know, Kane probably would have figured out a way to maybe rig the testimony. And yep. Pay off. Some <laughs> exactly. More witnesses. It, it just misses that kind of like, and there's a, there's a bit of like, um, uh, you know, wish fulfillment. It's just like, ah, oh, I just, one of these days, I wish I could just like put everybody in their place, do what I want, and get the hell out of town, type of thing. <laughs> right. And I think, I think <coughs> that's the difference. I, Howard, I think. I mean, you can always find you can always find precursors that have, you know, check a lot of the boxes. Uh, but I think he'd be considered at least one of the one of the first of the kind of sword and sorcery. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, by the way, I I'm a huge fan of the Conan stories. I, they're, you know, fun. they're different. They're yeah, they're fun. They're a lot of fun. They're, they're, they're well, they're well written. written. All that, right? All those things. So it's not, it's a, it's a comparison. It's not a criticism. Right. And uh, there was also, interestingly enough, uh, you know, Fritz Lieber, I think knowingly coined. Well, he coined the term apparently. Oh, I didn't know of that. sword and sorcery when. 
Michael Moorcock, a British author, was trying to figure out we really should name what we're doing so it can be kind of identifiable to its fans. He came up with Sword and Sorcery. But there's also, um, interestingly, interestingly enough, C.L. Moore was a writer back in the 30s, 40s, maybe into the 50s, maybe. And she had a, I'm probably mispronouncing this, but it was like Jareel of Jory. And she was like a medieval swordswoman who fits kind of nicely with the sword and sorcery genre. And so we have uh, at least some, uh, um, you know, some of that beginning almost almost at its inception at least mm. in, in the in the pulps back in the 30s you had female you know female heroines in the sword and sorcery genre and uh even though the movie's awful and puts her in the conan the barbarian world red sonia was actually just a medieval i think she was a swordswoman in medieval france that robert howard created mm. Somehow she got, I think, transposed into this female Conan for a pretty bad movie. Yes. Back in the um Yes. Back in the eighties. This is a genre that also seemed <laughs> movie wise, it exploded in the eighties. I, I was looking yeah. at um Yeah. There's Hawk the Slayer, uh the Sword of the Barbarians, the Be- the Beastmaster. Conan came out um in the 80s that's a that's a fun fun movie with schwarzenegger uh gunning king of the barbarians an italian movie that's like a, like a direct ripoff of conan mm-hmm. uh interesting sorceress conquest death stalker you know all this yeah and, and they're none of them are really good because it requires a budget and hardly any of them had budgets yeah and, and, ter- and most of them are terrible interesting tidbit i can't i think i'm gonna get some of this wrong but just an interesting little tidbit here. Um, I think Carl Edward Wagner was supposed to be the writer for the third Conan movie, which had to get shelved because Dino De Laurentiis lost so much money on David Lynch's Dune. That has the ring of truth to it. <laughs> there's some, there's some, there's some truth in that. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I again, I may be missing some of the details, but I thought I can't came across that a while ago and thought that was interesting. There's, I'm looking at some of the movies. Um, the Devil's Sword, 1984. The Warrior and the Sorceress, 84. Barbarian Queen, 1985. You know, nice. Yeah. Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom. Amazons, the barbarians. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's tough. And I remember as a kid in the eighties, a lot of these would be on HBO or Cinemax. If they were, I, I, I don't know what they were thinking of because they do require a budget, and they never had it except in the rarest of circumstances. They never, they never had a budget. Well, that was back in the day when there was there was there was still a you know a B movie industry you know, infrastructure where you could, you know, where you and I could, you know, raise a million dollars and make a movie. I mean, I suppose you could still do it now, but I mean, back then, you know, people were still doing that. And I guess people were making money, you know, you'd, you'd get it released and 
15 theaters and you wouldn't have to pay your actors, you know, anything but, you know, scale. And, you know, it, you raise a million dollars, you make, you know, 1.6 and everybody goes home happy. So what about, a? it looks like uh, when I did a, a Google search on, on Wagner and Kane and a bunch of articles came up from uh, not that long ago, 2021, 2022, there's always this rumor of a Kane movie. Yeah. And there, it doesn't ever seem to have, have come about yet have you heard or read anything about uh, most recently february 2022 um reports of a tv series or a movie with some producers i i'm i am very afraid of that like to me kane is deserving of a very very careful nuanced script and I worry that all the kind of sword and sorcery around it makes it, you know, maybe makes it difficult to do. I mean, I I hate to be over overly dramatic about it, but like I would have loved to have seen Akira Kurosawa take a Kane story and convert it into one of his, you know, movies about feudal Japan. Right. Uh, I, I could, I, I think it is deserving of that level of um, attention because otherwise it just turns into, Oh, he's just this, you know, immortal guy who's immoral and goes out and kills people. Okay. Whatever. But if you really kind of bought into the character and bought into what's going on, you know, you could, you could create some, you know, I think something that would be, you know, both highly entertaining, but also thought provoking and, um, uh, uh, you know, quite good. I wonder if it's missed its missed its opportunity. There was a point in time where, you know, I think if you, I I think if after... you came out with that, I th- I don't think it had. I think if you came out with this, you just kind of threw away everything that you think of when it comes to Hollywood today, right? And you just said, "Okay, I'm going to make the right movie here." I think it is. It wouldn't obviously wouldn't have you know a huge following at least initially, but I think it's one of those things that over the course of five years, people would say, "Holy crap, that was!" If you did it right, right, we say, "Holy crap, that was really good." It'd be like the thing with the John Carpenter's the thing, right? Which when mm-hmm. it came out, everyone said, eh, "Whatever." Amazingly, I, I heard this the other day on a podcast. The thing, John Carpenter's the thing. And Blade Runner were released on the same day. Well, that explains a lot about the, what happened to the, the thing. And in terms of the thing was a failure. And you know what killed them both? Uh, yeah, um, I'm guessing it was ET. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which co- totally cracks me up. It's like, uh, I, I mean, ET is a, a iconic early 80s Steven Spielberg film. Um, yeah. So many people remember it. And I just love the... Here's Spielberg's uh, version of an alien landing on the planet. Right. John Carpenter's like, here's mine. <laughs> right. Here, right. Here's mine. <laughs> slightly, just a slightly different take. Yeah, yeah. 
No, but yeah. I do. I, th- I think it's one of those things that I think if you did it right, I think people would appreciate, you know, film people would appreciate over time. And, and I, I would love to see it done well. I, I am very afraid of it being done poorly. Well, and, I think so. I'm wondering if what well, my my kind of thought was this. You know, back kind of after the trauma of Vietnam and Watergate and all that, we kind of turned to uh, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. Heroes, right? Yeah. These are the good guys. Those are the bad guys. And that that lasted for through the Long 80s, time. into the 90s. And then we got into this trend of, you know, some people call it anti-hero type of thing where, I mean, you have the lead characters, you know, Dexter, the lead character, is a serial killer. And Barry, the lead character, is an assassin. Jamie Lannister is kind of like one of these ambiguous uh, yeah. hero slash slash villains. You get all these two true to life, you know, shades of gray heroes. Mm-hmm. That I wonder if you know right now it's overplayed a little too much. Whereas if you would come out with like a Kane movie in nineteen in nineteen eighty four, it would have been like a slap to the face. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, they, they, they could could H, HBO could, you know, probably HBO could do a good, a good ten ten episode, limited, limited run. I, I, that that's where it might might belong. You could maybe stitch together a good chunk of the story, mm. and put it on HBO or Prime in a in a in kind of like. I mean, what you don't want is the uh, Encounter of the Week Kane. Right. CBS television series where he right. travels the world with his faithful dog. Right. Kane the Night Stalker. Yeah. And you know, yeah. you, you just know on traditional TV, he might be presented as this amoral, but amoral being, but with throughout the series. <laughs> yes. They will intersperse <laughs> little moments of, oh, he does care. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and um, yeah, just, and, and just, just completely ruin it. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of enjoy. I mean, I'm thinking back to these '80s movies. There's a bunch I enjoyed. And my final question for you is: if if writing literature kind of has a point or purpose, what is the purpose of Cain and Conan? What's the point of why do people like this stuff? Well, I think. Well, why there are two different questions, you know, kind of, uh, but linked, uh, you know, it's, it's escapism. Yeah. Right. Clearly. Right. Like a lot of stuff is, it's just a different version of, you know, put me in a different place where I'm not dealing with what I consider the mundane anxieties of my existence. Right. And, and where I can, I can have a fantasy where there's, you know, answers are clear. Right. Or things are less ambiguous or I'm dealing with things that I, I can vision myself as being the hero. Right. And I think with um, again, I, I, I think Kane is a little bit special because it's not quite that. Right. I mean, there are those elements to it. There's obviously the escapism and all of that. But there's also that anti-establishment element to it which Kane clearly is, right? You can't get more anti-establishment than Kane. Right. Because yeah. he's just completely, it, none of this stuff matters to his own existence. Ultimately, he plays with it because if he wants to engage with the world, he has to, but he is, he's 
fairly contemptuous of everything, ultimately, because he's seen it all before multiple times. He knows how it ends up and he knows how people, you know, delude themselves. And um, and so it's like insignificant any given point in time is. So if you're like, it's life and death right now, but you know what? 800 years from now, no one's going to even remember this place existed or your name. Right. Type of, type of thing. Right, right. So it's a, it's a, so Kane is a little bit different in that regard. I mean, it's just as escape, but don't get me wrong. It's, it fills the same purpose. And for those people who are, who, um, you know, maybe don't want things to kind of play out in the standard way you would expect them to, given, you know, the formula for a lot of this stuff, then I think Kane is an interesting alternative because you don't have traditional heroes and, and heroines and, and the stories don't end in ways that you necessarily want. Although some Kane stories end with the hero and heroine, you know, winning out at, at some level and Kane not. Right. So it's yeah. just kind of, well, how do I feel about that? Right. Um, so it's a, it, it just adds a little, you know, that little bit of dimensionality to it. And, um, and Kane is a, is an interesting, again, I go back to, you know, if you want to be a little bit thoughtful about perspective, I think Kane, Kane gives you a little bit of um, ability to be a little bit more, um, you know, objective about what you see going on around you. My, I, yeah, I suspect that um, my best guess is that Wagner wrote these because he wanted to, meaning this was his kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He wanted to. He had a great time doing it. And there was enough people out there who also enjoyed it. And I think it's, yeah, listen, it's, uh, it's not great literature, but it's entertaining. It's, it's kind of fast paced entertainment. And um, it's a little, you know, there's some, uh, because he's immortal um, and amoral, uh, you know, there's some, deeper commentary there there's like there's actually some fairly interesting kind of commentary in some of the conan stories but it's buried in a lot of action and mm-hmm. adventure and things like that and that is like 100 100 fine by me a, a little goes a long way for me um yeah. i wouldn't sit down i got a bunch of the um the del rey conan books when they came out oh the actually the robert e howard almost all of them yeah, whether it was Call Conan, the horror stories, the adventure stories, things like that. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd sit and read all three volumes like I'm reading The Lord of the Rings. But, uh, you know, from time to time, it's 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 good escapism and it's good, solid. I say better than solid writing uh, with both Wagner and and Howard. So interesting, interesting yeah. genre. Yeah. Well, I got two tidbits to end our discussion today, unless Late. you have other things. <laughs> no, lay it on me. Okay. So, and these are really short, quick, just, just things that I found. Um, uh, under the name Kent Allard, <laughs> Carl, Edward, <laughs> Carl Edward Wagner, yeah, wrote uh, an erotic novel called The Other Woman. <laughs> um, hey, you got <laughs> You got to pay the bills. Pays the bills, right? Um, and um, interestingly enough, Carl Edward Wagner shows up as a character in a short story written by none other than 
John Langan, the author of The Fisherman. That's awesome. Yeah. I thought that was really neat. I like that. That's excellent. Excellent. There is a, I, I will end this discussion on, if you can find it, and I think I may have found it, but I haven't watched it. There is a documentary on on Wagner called. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. The, Sorry. The, the Last Wolf. The Last Wolf, yes. And I did uh, on YouTube, I was able to see like the first like a minute or two and his friends, family discussing him. Uh, so I'm trying to find that. Uh, I'd be interested in watching that. I think you may be act- actually able to watch it on the website of the people who created it. Oh, interesting. But okay. uh, I'm I'm not positive. I got to go back and double check that. But apparently, he was a mean drunk. He was not a fun drunk, and he was drunk a lot. He yes, unfortunately, he succumbed. It was my impression, reading what I've read of him, that he he definitely died. Is you know because of alcohol. I think his ex wife married Peter Straub. <laughs> Are think. you serious? I think That's- so. That's interesting. That's funny. I think I could Small be completely. World. I could be completely wrong. I could be misremembering something. But uh, but his wife. Sued. Yeah. Well. Okay. <laughs> um. But um. Yeah. He he uh drank too much and and um. It unfortunately all the kind of classic elements of alcohol abuse with him um which is really um really too bad because it was clearly somebody who was a excellent writer just you know technical knows his knows his art and you know again going back to something i said earlier he was somebody who really took action to preserve to promote and um engage in in this genre fiction not just sword and sorcery but horror as well and um you know, those, uh, who knows what those efforts could have done, uh, in the ensuing years. I mean, the, the genre has the, the horror genre at least has, I think, you know, really taken hold. Um, and there are, you know, publishers of horror, you know, you know, specifically of horror stories. There's a, there's a market for it. People are, are there going out, finding it and reading it, which is great to see. And, he could have been a part of that movement, right? And could have um, could have contributed significantly because of his talents and skills. So it is it it is a tragedy that he um, you know that he became an alcoholic and that he uh, he went down that path and died so young. So I know even today, a, still be in his mid seventies. Yeah, which means even if he was really active through his you know late fifties or late sixties, you know, you're talking about. 20 plus more years of output. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. He's one of those guys though. I think it's, it always kind of cracks me up when, when people talk about, it's very much like, um, uh, Robert Shaw, Quint from Jaws. It's like, Oh, he was a great guy except for when he was drinking, but he was always drinking. Right. <laughs> you can't really say that. It's kind of like, he was a great guy except for, you know, once every few months he gave, re- it's like, no, this guy was drunk from like 8 a.m. to 8 a.m. He's an asshole when he was drunk. So it's, I guess those few minutes he was sober, he was a great guy. You catch him in the morning. <laughs> so I have not been, um, I've not really been reading or watching anything of note. I, I, I was 
reading this. I was also reading what we're going to talk about next. There's going to be a movie called Crossroads and a book after that called Crossroads Blues that intersect with some blues blues legends to um, uh, you know a, a greater or lesser extent and greater to lesser quality <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's that's um that's really been uh been what, what i've been up to how about you so i've uh um i think i told you i'm reading master and margarita slowly um, still on that's still, still on it yeah I, I am it is not sinking in i'm not i i, I i'm not I'm not getting. I I know a lot of people. I've because I've I've read some reviews and I've I've even watched a quick video of somebody explaining why it's his favorite book. Um, I, I kind of get it. I think in what's going on and and there's some aspects of it that I I I I am enjoying, but I don't think I'm gonna. I I think this is something that's it's either over my head or it's you know passing me on the left or something i it's just not resonating with me if it's not you know sometimes i i like that i like that that book but you know if it doesn't land for you it doesn't land for you, you don't. yeah so i'm also reading um besides the book that we read the um crossroads blues i've i've also been reading and i'm almost done with the general in his labyrinth which is um, gabriel garcia marquez's book about the last days of the life of simone boulevard Huh. Boulevard, interesting, uh, and um, and he's just a magnificent writer, even yes. in translation. Um, that it, it's just, I just I always find it's just a pleasure to read. I I read his two other famous novels, uh, Love in the Time of Cholera and A Hundred Years of Solitude, both of which I I just loved reading. They were just a joy to read, and this 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 is no different. It's just a pleasure to read. Um, but it also makes me aware of how little I know about South American history, which seems very complicated and <laughs> confusing based on kind of what I've been coupling together and also just kind of you know, going on Wikipedia and, and trying to figure out a little bit of. But um, yeah, just just a lot of fun. And then I'm, I'm um, reading a, a Japanese novel from the early 20th century called Snow Country, which is kind of a um, Madame Butterfly-like story. Um, uh, which is fairly short, but I'm reading that as well. And then, uh, since I've been out here in the towards the end of Long Island, I went to the Sag Harbor Bookstore and bought two Cormac McCarthy books because uh, I figured I gotta I gotta read more Cormac McCarthy because he's celebrated and people who are celebrated should be read. There you go. That sounds good. Um, yeah, I just haven't been able to kind of. Uh, sink my teeth into into much lately. I got a, I need a show or two, and maybe a book series or two to 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 get me going. So I've just been, you know, poking around here and there, re rewatching some stuff. Yeah, um, having stuff on is pretty much background noise while while I do other things. But so I think next week, I think so. This is the book. So next week we're going to be talking about the. Ralph Macchio, 1986, or I'd rather call it the Joe Seneca, 1986 movie, Crossroads. Much better description. And then the following uh, episode will be um, kind of a companion piece, uh, 
mystery novel by Ace Atkins mm-hmm. called Crossroads Blues. Yes. So um, I think a good a good twofer. Yeah. So look forward to it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a. Um, well, we could talk about it at the time, um, but uh, all right, cool. Um, all right, let's. Uh, I will see you in. We'll be back in about two weeks after this. Yes. Yep. After this is okay. Sounds good, right, man. Take it easy. You too. Bye bye.